Okay, turn to Psalm 4 in your Bibles or your bulletins. Let's pray. Your words are pure words, O Lord, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times. There is no dross in them. Their riches can't be compared with the value of silver or even gold. May we be a church invested in multiplying these riches and dispensing with all rivals. It's here in your word that we find Christ, our King, our Brother, our Savior, our Friend. May the power of your Holy Spirit be known this morning by our apprehension of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, As you know by now, Acts follows the pattern of the Great Commission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We've come to chapter 8 in Acts, which is kind of a break between Jerusalem and Samaria. So I thought it would be a good opportunity to take a little break from Acts and do something a little bit different today. Um, So uh, we we, we go through lush patches in our life, spiritually speaking, and we go through desert seasons, right? I was recently given a box full of great theological books, the remnants of which are on the back table for your perusal. <laughs> one that, but the box was just sitting on my floor and it was at the top was uh, one that Michael actually mentioned in Sunday school this morning, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's little book, Psalms. I have it here. Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. So I picked it up and started reading it and this book, or actually implementing some of the ideas in the book, have been, for me, uh, an oasis in what has been a bit of a desert crossing spiritually over the last several months. As you know, Bonhoeffer was a German theologian and pastor. He resisted the Nazis, and he followed in the footsteps of Stephen. He became a martyr. So what I want to do today is a little bit unusual, not in the sense that I'm usually unusual, but a little different from what we normally do. I want want to share with you some of what I've been learning about prayer from this brother who has gone before us. And so I want to read um, as our scripture passage, Psalm 4. So if we'll stand and hear the word of God this morning, Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. 
In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Amen. This is God's Word. Please be seated. In Luke chapter 11, we read, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, who can't sympathize with that request? Teach us to pray. How often do you sit down to pray and your just mind goes blank? I don't know how to do this. Prayer has always been a challenge for me, and I've prayed many times, Lord, make me more of a praying man. Or sometimes with more frustration, Lord, why won't you answer my prayer to make me a praying man? Lord, teach us to pray. That kind of assumes that prayer doesn't come naturally to us, that it's something we have to learn and be taught. Sometimes men think, I'm a man, I should naturally be good at weightlifting. The same with prayer. We think, I'm a Christian, I should naturally be good at prayer. But like weightlifting, while some may be naturally more inclined, um, it's something that everyone has to learn. We have to learn technique, discipline. We have to build up those muscles through practice. So we have to learn to pray. And I so want us to be a praying church, even as I want to be a praying man. The word will not go out. The spirit will not move. Revival will not come in the absence of prayer. I pray that this message and the things that I've been gleaning from Jesus and his servant, our brother and father in the faith, uh, will help us in that endeavor. And and I preach today not as a sort of bodybuilder in prayer, (laughs) but as one who actually feels rather weak. I don't even feel as though I'm the strongest in the high school PE class. I preach as one who's found some benefit from these teachings over the last few weeks, and I hope to pass them on to you. I think they're worthy of imitation in this area of prayer. So I want to begin with this point. Um, If you don't know what to pray, pray the Word. If you don't know what to pray, pray the Word and If you think you know what to pray, pray the Word. This is something so obvious that it's sort of embarrassing that it's become a fresh revelation to me in these past weeks. Of course, it's something I've known and and done myself over the years, but it's like sometimes the things that pass from our ears to our brain are like a a bird sailing through the air, and it's so smooth, but then there's like the tube that goes from your brain to your heart, it's just full of like frozen honey. It just takes like a decade for stuff to get from here to here. So if we want to learn to pray, and we want to learn to pray according to God's will, as we're called to do, where else can we turn but the Word of God? Why do we suppose that when we become a Christian, that somehow the Spirit of God will give us this sort of mystical wellspring of warm spiritual verbiage that just proceeds from our inner being? separate from the written, inspired Word of God. Bonhoeffer says in his book that prayer does not mean simply to pour out one's heart. It means rather to find the way to God and to speak with Him 
whether the heart is full or empty. No man can do that by himself. For that, he needs Jesus Christ. He goes on, he says, And so we must learn to pray. The child learns to speak because his father speaks to him. He learns the speech of his father. So we learn to speak to God because God has spoken to us and speaks to us. By means of the speech of the Father in heaven, his children learn to speak with him. Repeating God's own words after him, we begin to pray to him. We ought to speak to God, and he wants to hear us, not in the false and confused speech of our heart, but in the clear and pure speech which God has spoken to us in Jesus Christ. You see, he's calling us to pray God's words after him, as he has spoken to us like a little child learning to speak as his father speaks to him. So what I'm learning is that prayer is so much is not so much the, the overflow of a heart already inflamed. Instead, prayer is meant to inflame the heart. I mean, love, and, love and passion for God and neighbor are exasperating and frustrating motives for prayer. You, love is the essence of the law. That's a law-based motivation for prayer. And I don't know about you, but I'm not so good at keeping the law. If I were a car, I tend to think that that prayer is like the fuel injectors. As long as I have fuel, I'm supplying prayer to the engine. But that's not really accurate. Prayer is more like the gas pump that pumps fuel into my car. Prayer is not supposed to be a depleting activity, but a filling. And the word of Christ is the pump station. Jesus himself prayed the word. Um, His prayer, not absent from personal experience, but he prayed on the cross, very much his personal experience, from Psalm 22. One, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Obviously, that's a little different because he's the Messiah. That psalm's about him. But likewise, we saw a few weeks ago, the apostles do the same thing. They pray scripture over and over again. You remember from Acts 4, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, just quoting scripture, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? Psalm 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. You see that over and over again. They're praying Scripture and applying Scripture to their own lives. So, if we don't know what to pray, pray the Word. If you think you know what to pray, pray the Word. I think the big question mark for us with this idea is, um, do we then just mutter unfeeling, detached Bible verses as our prayer? Like, what room does praying scripture leave for us to pray about our own trials, our joys, our questions, our requests? And the answer is, I think, that it actually multiplies our ability to do that a hundredfold. Praying scripture gives us a vocabulary to express ourselves with a clarity and maturity that we don't otherwise have. 
Scripture gives us the capacity to move beyond infantile babble. Now, two pieces of Scripture that Bonhoeffer directs us towards in particular are the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms. The Lord's Prayer and the Psalms. Um, using these two portions of Scripture in conjunction combines the clarity of Christ's teaching about prayer and the humanity of personal expression that you find in the Psalms. So that's what I want to think about next. It's kind of this combination of praying the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms together. The instruction and the, and the paradigm of human experience. So when Jesus taught us to pray, he said to pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, it should be painfully obvious. This is where we should go when we want to learn about prayer. This is how Jesus said to pray. I mean, if you look at the shorter catechism, the longer catechism, the Heidelberg catechism, they all devote a great deal of time to teaching the Lord's Prayer. It's how Jesus taught us to pray, and we, or at least I, overlook it. Well, I don't know why. Maybe perhaps we think we've outgrown the Lord's Prayer. Perhaps we're afraid of vain repetition, like we, we just mutter the prayer and then we're done with prayer for the day. But Jesus believes this prayer represents the very substance of prayer. And yet, there are many other prayers in the scriptures. Jesus himself prayed for hours. Did he just go off and pray the Lord's Prayer over and over again? That's all Jesus knows how to pray. So there has to be more to prayer than just these few words. And Bonhoeffer, again, here he says that all the prayers of the Holy Scripture are summarized in the Lord's Prayer and are contained in its immeasurable breadth. They are not made superfluous by the Lord's Prayer, but constitute the inexhaustible riches of the Lord's Prayer as the Lord's Prayer is their summation. So similar to the way that the the Ten Commandments contain all the commandments within them. The Lord's Prayer contains all prayer within it. It subsumes all prayers. There's no place more clearly that we see this in Scripture than what Bonhoeffer calls the prayer book of the Bible in the Psalms. He quotes Martin Luther in the book and he says that the Psalter penetrates the Lord's Prayer and the Lord's Prayer penetrates it so that it's possible to understand one on the basis of the other and to bring them into joyful harmony. So the Psalms, though very doctrinally rich, are not doctrinal treatises. Um, The Psalms are kind of human experience and expression laid bare in the presence of the Lord. They are filled with, with suffering, with confusion, with joy, with praise, question and promise. It's all there. Whatever we want to express as humans is, is right there in the Psalms. And yet, the Psalms are not bound to our own fickle emotions. It's the very word of Christ. And it's about the Christ. So as it is about the Christ and it is the word of Christ... 
They not only give us the vocabulary to express what we're feeling, but they lift us above and beyond the kind of quagmires of our own emotions and turn our eyes back to the proper object of our affection, which is Jesus. Bonhoeffer said, if we want to read and to pray the prayers of the Bible, and especially the Psalms, therefore we must not first ask, what do they have to do with us, but what they have to do with Jesus Christ? It does not depend, therefore, on whether the Psalms express adequately with that which we feel at a given moment in our heart. If we are to pray aright, perhaps it is quite necessary that we pray contrary to our own heart. Not what we want to pray is important, but what God wants us to pray. If we were dependent entirely on ourselves, this is funny, if we were dependent entirely on ourselves, we would probably pray only the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Give us this day our daily bread. But God wants it otherwise. The richness of the Word of God ought to determine our prayer, not the poverty of our heart. Uh, so I have found that this practice of praying through the Psalms with the Lord's Prayer as a kind of framework in my mind to be one of the most spiritually enriching private practices that I've engaged in in quite some time. It provokes expressions of praise, of thanks, requests to God, and it also fills my own heart with the truth of God's Word. It, it, doing this forces you to meditate on the Psalms to interpret the Psalms, and to apply them. You can't pray them without doing those three things. Meditate, interpret, and apply. So I kind of want to finish the last half of this sermon by turning to Psalm 4 as an example of praying through the Psalms with the Lord's Prayer as a framework. And not as example only, but I want us to hear the Word of God prayed as a sermon. Meditated, interpreted, and applied. Now, this is a written prayer for a sermon, so we're going to pray through Psalm 4. And it's a sermonic prayer, I guess, so it's not exactly what might be represented in our home study time, uh, I want you to understand. But hopefully this will give you an idea of something of what Bonhoeffer's getting at here, and it will encourage our hearts and souls. So I want you to pray with me and engage your mind as though it's a sermon, but also a prayer to God. And what I plan on doing is reading a verse or two and praying over it and reading a verse or two and praying. So let's pray. Praying Psalm 4. Verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Father in heaven, what a privilege to call you Father. It's on the merits of Christ alone that we come to you as our Father. We boldly ask you to answer our cries because you are the God of our righteousness. You have granted us righteousness through Christ alone so that now we can enter the very throne room of heaven, speaking to you as our benevolent Father. You have delivered us from the evil one by your own gracious will and made us your dear children who call upon your name as holy and hallowed. Therefore, hear us and answer us as we call upon you this morning from this time and in this place. And we do know that our prayers are before you now because you have answered them in the past. You've given us relief from our distress many times. 
perhaps not always the kind of relief we expected, but as a kind father, you have always given us what we most needed. Will you be gracious to us? Will you hear our prayer, Father in heaven? Verse 2, God speaking back, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Father, we ourselves are guilty of this charge. We would be tempted to first accuse the world of despising your honor, but we too have failed to hallow your name. Idolatrous discontent has filled our own hearts, and we have loved vain words and sought after lies. The evil one has set many traps for us, and we have tasted the bait. We have believed lies that the concerns of our daily lives are more pressing than time spent in your word. The word has thus been choked out by weeds. We have believed the lie that we could go through our days on our own strength, our own intelligence, our own ingenuity. We have believed that we could be good by just trying harder. We have believed the lie that you are distant, that you are not to be feared above all gods, and that you have not really called us to be holy as you are holy. Our hearts wander as they did in the garden, and, and we wonder and say, did God really say? So forgive us, Father in heaven. However, however, by your grace, we look around with the fresh vision of new life in Christ, and we are likewise horrified how your name has been disregarded in the world. We ask that you rain just judgments upon those who do not fear your holy name. We ask that you show yourself holy by bringing justice to those in our land who would murder the unborn, who would despise your institutions of marriage and family. Likewise, bring justice in those lands like Afghanistan right now and China where people are murdering and imprisoning Christians. Father, we ask you to break them. And in their brokenness, would you cause some to cry out in a fresh awareness of their need that you'd bring these God-haters like Paul into the fold for the glory of your own name and the increase of your kingdom. How long, O Lord, will your name be despised by men? How long before your kingdom comes in full and you will be, your will will be done fully even as it is now in heaven? How long until Jesus comes back? In the meantime, as we sojourn through our exile, will you help us and by the power of the Holy Spirit sustain us so that we will bear witness to the holy name of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 3, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. God, let us not become depressed and unfruitful because we have despaired at the sight of our own sinful condition or the wickedness of the world, but restore to us the joy of your salvation. You have reformed us. You have given us new life. Will you remind us that even as your name is holy, you have sanctified your people to yourself? As your word says in Revelation, Jesus loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever.
This kingdom is advancing even now, and those in many, many cities, and even here, whom you have elected and set apart unto salvation and good works, are being brought in day by day. Will you not hear the prayers of your chosen? You have freed us from the snare of the devil. By Jesus, you have forgiven us our debts. Not for anything in us, but because of your good pleasure. You elected us from before the foundation of the world. Therefore, hear our prayers, O Lord. Verses 4 and 5. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. O God, we are indignant because of those who blaspheme your name and flaunt disobedience to your commandments. But instruct us, we pray, in the discipline of righteous anger. It is not right that we sit by idle while the name of our Father is cast into the mud of the streets and trampled and spat upon. Surely we are not among the godly if we feel nothing when your holy name is mocked and shamed. Yet remind us that we were once as they are. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. We too were once living in the passions of our flesh, carrying about the desires of the body and the mind, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. How then can we who have been forgiven so many debts also not forgive? Teach us then righteous anger, anger which hates the crimes against our God without also turning to unjustly malign his image bearers. Keep us from childish quarrels. Guard us from murderous thoughts in the heart. Teach us again that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You will repay. You will not let your name go on being disparaged and shamed forever. You will execute all justice against every last sin, whether in Christ at his cross or through unending torment. Your will will be done. Will we, by your grace, first sanctify the Lord as holy in our own hearts? Will we learn to offer right sacrifices, sacrifices of prayer and of praise and of thanksgiving, and to trust wholly in your flawless providence? It does us no good to abuse our enemies. Let us not become like the man in the parable who was forgiven debts but then went out to abuse others and to make them repay his own loans. Instead, instruct us in how we may heap burning coals upon the heads of yours and our enemies by doing good. May we learn to pray for our leaders, even those who despise your name, that we may lead quiet, peaceable lives. May we aspire to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, and to work with our hands, walking properly toward outsiders. In so doing, may we daily walk in the will of heaven. Verses 6 and 7. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In our own hearts we cry out 
for more, more, more. And we wonder whether you have heard our prayers because you have not given us all that we have moaned and groaned for. You are patient with our discontent. Wickedly, we do often join the chorus of those who say, Will someone show us some good? Yet by grace in Christ, you have given us a taste of true goodness. True goodness in the light of your face. The blessing of life in your presence. Indeed, we have known a joy that could never have been known outside of your presence. The world continues to shovel material goods and vain pleasures into the bottomless pit of dissatisfaction, hoping one day that it will be filled. But for us, the simple fullness of joy in Christ is peace for our longing souls. You are enough. You are the treasure we seek. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand in the great halls of wealth and the pleasures of godless men. So we are learning, Father, however slowly, to be content with daily bread. The simple needs of the day-to-day are enough to sustain us, for you yourself are, day by day, hour by hour, our sustenance. Shine the light of your presence on us, Lord, and give us our daily bread. In verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Father, you do not wring your hands. You are not surprised that the world shames your honor as though somehow the opinion of the world should matter to the God of the universe. As your prophet has said, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Why then, O Lord, do we wring our own hands? Why do we lie awake at night in anxious stew? Why do we lie awake plotting our own vengeance, or plotting our own course, questioning whether you will supply our needs? Why do we lie awake at night justifying our sinful actions from the day and wondering whether or not you will cast us off for our sins? Lord, will you teach us that to rest is to trust? You are our own Father. You sit enthroned in heaven. Your kingdom will come and your will will be done. Nothing we can do will hinder your plan or cause it not to come to pass. You care for the sparrows and the flowers. Surely you will give us our daily bread. We are special to you, not because of anything in us, but because you have set us apart and forgiven us all our debts, nailing them to the cross of Christ. You have defeated the evil one in our day by day, freeing us from our temptations and sinful affections. So, Father in heaven, teach us to sleep dwelling in the safety of the God who hears our prayers. Amen.